Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money on everything from employee training, social media marketing, and wellness programs. If you're always on the lookout for best practices in food service and school nutrition, congratulations, you found another great tool for your professional development toolkit. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields. Today, we have a special guest from the industry side, someone who works with a manufacturer to really break down the intricacies of commodities and commodity processing for us. It's a really informative episode. I hope you enjoy it. Nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the School Nutrition Dietitian. Hi, Jesse. Thank you for coming on the show. Hi, thanks, Dahlia. Appreciate it. So I'm really excited to have an expert on when I was speaking with someone else from Schwann's about how confusing commodity processing is for a newbie. They said you were the person to talk to because you know all things that have to do with commodities. So how did you get to be that go-to person? Wow, those are some uh, pretty high expectations. I, I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> But no, it's um, yeah, it's it's been something that I've been involved in uh, for the the past five years with Schwann. So I've been managing our our K twelve USDA commodity program um, for us. But I've actually been with the organization uh, for the past twelve years. But um, this has definitely been my my favorite part to work with is the the K twelve uh, world. It's just it's just been great, and this has been one of those things that um, definitely have developed the passion for and and kind of learning the whole process and and looking for ways to to make it better. So um, yeah, while managing our commodity program, I've also been involved in ACTA. And, and so what that stands for is American Commodity Distribution Association. Um, so if, if, you, if you haven't heard of it or uh, haven't been a member in the past, um, I would definitely encourage anybody um, to check it out because it's just been a great uh, a membership organization that's been put together that I have gotten so much education from and uh, learned a lot. Because really what it is, is it brings all of us together. Um, So RAs, uh, state agencies, USDA, manufacturers, distributors, um, brokers. I'm sure I'm forgetting one of the groups, but there's so many of us that um, touch the the USDA uh, commodity foods process um, that, like I said, it's just a great organization to be a part of. So I'm already learning something. I didn't know that that was for that many different types of professionals. I assumed it was just like the manufacturers and maybe the state level people. Yeah, no, um, it's great. Um, I love going to the conferences because like I said, it's just, 
it's everybody there. We can all kind of like um, brainstorm and, and, and kind of, it just brings us together to be able to kind of talk. It was like, well, what do we need to do? And, and, and so, like I said, um, just being involved in it, I was actually had the opportunity to be on the processing committee um, as uh, the chairman of the, the cheese subcommittee within it. So basically that committee, it, again, it brings in all the different groups. So you'll have somebody from the cheese and somebody from poultry and fruits and vegetables. And then you have somebody from the RAs themselves and state agencies. And really uh, what we do is we kind of just sit down and look at current processes and obstacles and like I said, how to make the commodity program work for everyone. So that's really kind of how, um, you know, I've learned so much about the, the process. And um, yeah, like I said, um, looking for ways, how do we make it better? And, and actually, currently right now, I'm serving on the, the USDA work group committee representing the, the industry. Um, there's a, it's called the BMI project. And that stands for Business Management Improvement, where we're just looking at different projects and, and how, again, how to improve our commodity program at a much larger scale. So, yeah, oh, it's, a, it's definitely a passion of mine. And, and I, I love to, to have conversations with really anybody about the commodity program. Excellent. Because this is one of those things that I don't think you would have any exposure to prior to starting to work with K-12. So (laughs) I'm going to start, I want to start from the bottom. Let's assume that our listener is just coming in off the street first day of work and lucky them they've come in during a planning time for the orders for next year. And the assumption is, Hey, you went to college, you know about this, right? It's very interesting uh, what people imagine you study in school. Um, this is definitely an on-the-job type of thing. But anyway. <laughs> no so, doubt. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. What is the commodity program? Sure. Uh, it's the National School Lunch Program. Uh, so you commonly hear it referred to as the NSLP. Uh, really what it is, it's a federally assisted meal program um, operating in public um, non-profit, nonprofit private schools, and actually also residential child care institutions. And really what it is, is it's a program that provides nutritionally balanced, low-cost or even free lunches um, to children each school day. So literally the National School Lunch Program itself is a commodity program because it's rarely yeah. phrased that way. Yeah, so then tell us about the origin. So then why does the National School Lunch Program exists beyond just trying to prevent child hunger and address health issues related to nutrition in the country. What's a secondary purpose of the National School Lunch Program? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question and and something that, you know, many probably don't realize, but it's been around for a long time. It's the the actual initial purpose of the program. It started in the 1930s. Um, you know, when our country was kind of going through a, a tough economic time and uh, it, it was really kind of started up by to assist our agriculture economy um, to reduce our crop surplus. And then it kind of a supply and demand thing, raise the value of crops. And so one of the ways of doing that was um, to be able to take uh, those surpluses and the outlet that was used for it was providing food to the schools and low income families. And that's really kind of uh, the role 
this program became so important that the National School Lunch Program was created, and it was created to be permanent. Um, so it's something that we know that won't go away, and we're going to have every year. And it continues to support two very important groups in our country. It's schools and farmers. And, um, yeah, the, like I said, the program supports our U.S. agriculture and child nutrition. And it provides that quality, nutritious foods. Yeah, I don't think everybody knows that it's been that way from the beginning. So I think that's an important detail. So considering that the people that were meant to be supported maybe aren't regarded as highly as they should be in this country, some people have this negative perception. And the word surplus doesn't sound awesome. Like, um, I don't. Yeah, it just sounds like leftovers, even though that's not really the case. What are some things that you have noticed change over the years? Or honestly, a lot of this would have been before you were working with it directly, but I'm sure you still know. How has commodity food packaging and presentation changed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, That's uh, a place where we've seen a lot of changes. So, um, you know, the packaging alone, so it's kind of... uh, seen huge improvements it used to be very plain and and generic uh nothing really added to the packaging but now you'll see packaging more like something kids would see within a grocery store um so you know just adding the color and graphics just making it more visually appealing and uh you know as you say talk about presentation of the foods um that's improved as well in so many schools um, just from the fact of offering really more choices um, for kids. So you having the salad bars, and um, you know, now we're starting to see so many more made-to-order stations um, that really allow the students the ability to to customize their food and 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 give them the ability to choose. Yeah. So it, it really has come a long way. Fantastic. I do remember people talking about easily identifiable government cheese and things like that in the seventies and eighties. Not that I was there in the seventies, but I heard about it. It really did have a bad rap. I've heard a lot about that too, the the government (laughs) cheese. Yep. And I think to a large extent, it probably was presentation because what you see influences your perception of taste. And it could be exactly the same as a branded cheese. And because you perceive it as less valuable, uh, you don't enjoy it as much. So it's nice that that has been taken into consideration and you don't get plain brown box stuff anymore. Like nobody does that. Um, When it comes to the significance of USDA foods in school nutrition, since this has always been a program meant to support U.S. agriculture. Does that mean that everyone can participate or how does that work? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it really, it, it can be. And so what a school would need to do is have that agreement with their state agency. Um, and that agreement, it, it includes the different guidelines and uh, requirements that such as uh, different procurement uh, requirements, um, nutritional requirements, but you know, all things to really make the, the program as nutritious and healthy um, for our students as possible. Because um, you know, when you talk about significance, it's, it's huge. I mean, today there's nearly 100,000 schools and institutions 
across our country that um, are serving affordable, quality, and nutritious meals. And that's over 30 million students on a daily basis. Um, so our, the USDA foods, I'd say that's the significance is how many um, students are actually having those USDA foods on their plate on a daily basis. So if everyone is welcome to participate under the guidelines in their state, how do you know how much money you'll have or how much USDA foods your district will be getting in a year? Sure. Um, yeah, that's a very common question. That's a good one. Um, it's it, basically it's it's funding that the USDA is providing to, to to supplement that school district's food costs, and so how they actually uh, calculate that is uh, based upon the the reimbursable lunches served on an annual basis, uh, which includes the free, reduced, and paid reimbursable lunches. And that's times a, a USDA foods assistant rate. And that's actually um, calculated on an annual basis and, and published in July. And it's, it's around that mid 20 cent range. Um, and that's really kind of the how it's calculated. Um, but uh, using it is definitely something um, that I would say schools have the the most kind of trouble doing. Um, you wouldn't mm-hmm. think it, um, but uh, it really, it, it comes down to planning. And, and that's something I definitely really want to talk about right. um, as well. But um, you know, that's the, the one thing to really take into consideration is um, lots of states have moved to a um, use it or lose it type policy. So if you don't use um, your entitlement within that current school year, um, your account ends up getting swept at the end of the year of anything that goes unused. Mm, okay. So that that is very important to know. So your entitlement is based on how many kids you served previously. Yes. And if you don't use it in some states, that's a lost opportunity to stretch your food dollars as a program. Without a doubt. Does every state sweep at the end of the year or just depends? Um, I would say a large majority. Every state is going to be different, but um, especially I've seen over the last uh, year or even two, um, it's probably even doubled from what the states have kind of swept at the end of the year to to now because the USDA, uh, especially this last year, has made a um, a real big push to making sure that there isn't too much excess um, commodity dollars at the end of the school year. Um, so just um, making sure that it is used, it gets taken out of everybody's account at the end of the year, and then um, it gets to be reallocated um, to people that will use it. And do the people that want it after it's been swept get that without the money somehow coming from them. It basically is someone else's entitlement dollars and they end up with the product. Yep. That's exactly, that's exactly it. And so that's where I'd say the, and one of the biggest recommendations are as far as talking about planning goes is if you're doing your planning up front and you're utilizing your commodities um, and fully using your entitlement dollars, you are going to be able to see that added benefit of getting that 
non-entitlement dollars or um, kind of like you said, somebody else's entitlement dollars to be able to be used into your food costs. So um, if you started the year with $50,000 of entitlement and you properly use all of it, you could actually end up getting another, you know, however, however much else you could use. So you could even make that into $75,000. Um, so yeah, if you're planning up front, you're, you're definitely going to see that the, the success um, financially um, within your food program. Sweet. Well, let's get into how, what are the steps and how do you plan it? Um, maybe if we could talk about diversion as well, because I don't think you always have to divert. So let's start with how you plan on using your commodity dollars. And I'm sorry, your entitlement in general. Yep. Well, so every January, so let's start off the calendar year, the USDA will send out a foods available list to all the state agencies. And I mean, it includes foods that can be delivered directly um, to the school, or it could be as a raw ingredient, or, or it could be foods that are sent to manufacturers to be made into a, a finished end product. And so the states will take that list and they'll decide which foods they want to include on their survey. Again, every state's going to be different. So some states will have all the foods on there. Some will limit it to certain commodities. Uh, but what they do is they put their survey together and around January, March timeframe, um, those surveys are sent out to schools to select the commodities they want to use their entitlement on. And so um, from there, uh, the state will then compile all those surveys and they'll send that out to us as manufacturers and uh, we'll be able to kind of take a look at that list and say, okay, here are the schools that um, selected you on that survey and this is how many um, dollars or pounds um, they're going to be receiving in the commodities. So um, from there, um, the, the manufacturer will then um, work with the state and the USDA to schedule when we want to be able to receive those commodities into our plants. And it, it, one thing that's nice about that is it doesn't, doesn't necessarily matter when we receive it. Uh, at our plants, we will load your bank on July 1st with whatever um, commodity that you had selected. So, uh, for example, if you said, I want to send 10,000 pounds of cheese uh, to Schwann's, um, we'll put that in your bank on July 1st, even though we might not actually receive that 10,000 pounds in, until February of that school year. Okay. So, it's, so you're explaining how you divert product to a manufacturer and use your entitlement dollars that way. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It sounds within, a, go ahead. I was just saying, and within that survey, um, you, you certainly have the ability to um, choose the, the raw ingredient commodities that you want to be um, sent directly to your school versus to a manufacturer. Now, what sounds a little tricky to me is if you're trying to decide the best way to use your entitlement dollars for your program, how do you compare the cost of a finished product and what you're gaining once you're just looking at pounds and sending it? You know, it's not yeah. like dollars to dollars. So how should we look at that to understand where's the best way to spend our entitlement? Sure. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and that's one of the things. So every year, the value of those commodity pounds um, will take on a new value. So really based on um, 
what the what the market has um, is done recently. And so you can take a look at it and see, does that make sense? So um, if the value of cheese um, to be sent to a manufacturer is a buck 75 per pound and I can, or I can go out and buy that cheese myself for a buck 80, um, you know, which one would make more sense? And, and that's where I would say I'd rather, I'd rather not go out and buy it at a, a more expensive cost. And I'd rather use my commodities with it. And, okay. and it, that's really kind of, um, you know, back within the diversion process of, of how does a school best use their entitlement? Um, this is where it really becomes, and this is the huge part of it is planning in advance of those surveys. Um, because there's so many schools that will, um, you know, simply do kind of what they did last year, even mm -hmm. though they may have not have fully used those commodity dollars. Um, you don't want to do that. That's, that's definitely not a good practice. Um, same thing is with limiting the number of food items. So let's go, just go back to that $50,000 example. Um, you don't want to just say, I want to only put it in beef and chicken and I'm going to put 25,000 here and 25,000 there. When in reality, according to your menu, um, you may only use 10,000 of each of those. So you're really losing out on about $30,000 possibly um, if you go that route. So that's where, um, you know, back to the point of planning, that's, that's huge. So the first step is really, you know, as a school district, you want to look at what are your menu items that you're planning to, to have? And do they contain a commodity value on it? So um, let's say you're doing, uh, back to the example of pizza, right? So, um, yep, I'm going to do pizza. And you want to be able to decide what's my menu cycle, how many servings do I have in a menu, and you know how many commodities are within that finished end product. So we do cheese, flour, tomato paste. So when you're filling out your survey, um, you could be able to select all three of those. But really then the question is, well, how do I know how much commodities to put into that, right? Right. Um, so each manufacturer, um, I should say a majority of them, will have what's called a commodity calculator. Um, make sure you ask that manufacturer for that or ask your sales broker for that um, because there, that's where you're going to be able to plug in how many servings you're planning on doing. And that's going to calculate that all out for you as far as how many commodities you're going to need to put on that survey um, to effectively use it. Cause again, you just, you don't want to take a shot in the dark and, um, and do what you did last year or um, try and limit it. Cause um, kind of, I'd say probably everybody's heard the, um, you know, don't put all your eggs into one basket. And that's kind of goes the same thing with this is don't put all your commodity dollars just in the eggs. Um, cause you want to make sure that you diversify really to be able to, to use up your commodities effectively. So at this planning stage, is your state just trying to see which products to bring to the state? Because it seems like not every state gets exactly the same items. Is the survey just to get a feel for what should be available? Yeah, I'd say it definitely serves that purpose um, because um, they, might, they might look at it and say, wow, we haven't had this commodity, nobody's really asked for this one in the past you know, couple of years. 
how about we take this off of our survey and add another one um, if they're not giving that entire survey out. And the other reason for having that survey is the USDA um, requires full truckloads to be ordered um, with a processor. So um, if it doesn't equal a full truckload, um, there is the option to split kind of a, a truck with other states, um, but it becomes more difficult or if it's even worth it if there's only you know, 5% of a truckload that's being ordered for that state. So then it could be cut from that school's um, desired commodity. So you could put things on the survey. This is kind of like your wish list. And maybe when it's actually time to put in orders, it's not available anymore and you'll have to change your plan. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. right? Okay. Yep, absolutely. That does happen. Where are, or, well, right now we're in January. So what's the next thing? Um, so yeah, so we're in January and that's really kind of when this, this whole thing happens is then that February, March timeframe, that's when you're getting your surveys. And that's um, after that is when the states, so April, May timeframe, um, the states are sending it to the manufacturer. And then um, that's when we're working with the USDA to kind of plan those orders out. And um, uh, as far as when we want it delivered, but as far as those orders go and when they're actually placed and how, um, again, every state's different. So um, the actual orders for commodities, they'll be placed into the USDA's ordering system. It's called WBSCM. And I'd say a majority of the states will place that on behalf of their um, schools. But there's a lot of states that are starting to roll that out to schools. And then that's where the school will be responsible for placing their order out into this um, the USDA ordering system. So, I mean, it really depends. Each state is different. Oh, okay. I didn't know that everybody didn't have to go in there and do it themselves. <laughs> That's news yeah. to me. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, if you're in a state where you need to go in, um, how does the USDA communicate whether or not your order is big enough? So, we need a full truckload for it to be yep. delivered to our state, but are there minimum amounts for you to request as an individual district? Um, no, I would say not. Um, basically, we'll, we'll take all those districts and, and what they, they're ordering and try and roll it up to as many full trucks as possible. Uh, and then from there, whatever the, what's left over, um, I know us as a manufacturer will then start working with and communicating with other states to say, you know, hey, could you take you know, this three-fourths of a truck or this half a truck um, to make sure that um, we try and get as many um, schools what they're requesting as far as their commodities go. Okay, that makes sense. And you mentioned earlier that you don't have to wait for the USDA to physically deliver the pounds to the manufacturer, that there's yes. some type of bank. Can you explain more? What is the bank and how do you keep up with where you are with using your pounds of product during the year? Yes. Yes. That is a good one. That's absolutely. Um, so um, kind of how that works, like I said, and actually this process is called front loading and 
I would say not every manufacturer does it. It's kind of up to the manufacturer if they want to. But, um, you know, I guess from our perspective, and I think it's a pretty um, standard process across the industry, but uh, we want you to be able to start getting your commodity discount um, from day one. So we don't want you to have to wait till we actually are able to, as a manufacturer, physically take that into our plant because, you know, obviously we can't take in every school's commodities on July 1st. I mean, it's it's something that we're going to have to spread out across the, the school year. Um, but how that works is um, it, we will take your, so let's say if the school has 10,000 pounds that um, they had requested, we put that into your bank on July 1st. And then so as you're buying products throughout the course of the year, um, we're reducing that commodity um, bank um, according to the discount that you're receiving. And you and really the industry has two systems that they use. Um, one is called processorlink.com and then the other is k12foodservice.com. And, and what these two systems are, are um, manufacturers have subscribed to them and um, so let's say one system has half the manufacturers subscribed and the other half um, is in the other one. Um, so, but at, what the great thing is for a school is um, this is a free system that you're able to go into um, and, and look and track your balances. So it'll show you all of the manufacturers you have commodities with in processor link. And it'll show you all the manufacturers you have commodities with in K-12 food service. And from there, you're able to um, track your usage, uh, your balances. Uh, a, a thing I definitely always um, would recommend is, is making sure your usage is right. Because, um, you know, let's be honest, nothing's ever per perfect. Mm -hmm. So you may not be getting a, a discount on one of the product codes. So you know you're ordering every month you want to make sure that that equals to what you've ordered for that month. Um, and if it's not, that's definitely when we want to get something corrected because uh, you don't want to be missing out on a commodity discount. Right. So it makes sense that since this is funding coming from the USDA, we will be expected to be good stewards of these funds. What are some of the things we need to look out for? Um, what has the USDA put in place to make sure we're using our funding responsibly? Like, are there any penalties for maybe we overorder and we eventually end up throwing it all away or um, we get everything in our little bank and processor link and then we never order it. Are there any consequences for not following through? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this year in particular, it's been, like I said, a, a really big kind of push from the USDA is making sure that um, states and schools are being good stewards of this um, entitlement dollars. So um, it's being looked at very closely as far as, Nobody should have over six months inventory. Um, so I guess when you call it six months inventory, six months of a commodity balance um, at any given point. And, um, and so you want to make sure that you're, or I should say at any given point, or projected to have that at the end of the school year based on your monthly usage. So you want to make sure that um, you're tracking to be able to use it. And so both of those systems have um, percentages out there. So 
Um, if you're 20% of you know, the, the way through the school year, you want to make sure that you don't have over 80% of your balance there. If not, that's where I would maybe take a look to see um, what can I do differently? Is there a different item I could add on to my menu um, that uses commodities that will help me? Um, but the penalties, I'd say it really comes down to is um, losing it. I mean, losing it at the end of the school year. I don't think anybody um, you know, really wants to be able to get those commodity dollars and, and not be able to use it at the end of the year. Right. So, yeah, it's it, like I said, this, especially this year, I've seen it, um, and I, I know everybody's seen it. Um, that it's getting watched a, a lot more closely. So we'll definitely want to make sure that um, you're monitoring it through the school year. And again, um, you're just not doing a shot in the dark of what you want to order for commodities. Have a plan. Um, like I said before, those that have a plan, they're really going to be able to see the financial success gained within your food program by having that. Right. Now, if you're trying to plan how you're going to use the items you're selecting at the top of the calendar year and and you look at when things are coming in this is kind of an added label like ugh, added layer of complication you also have to think about when is the product arriving and how much storage space you have sure so yeah absolutely and that is one of the things to consider so um, that's, that's, I'd say a, a major difference between, I guess I call it brown box, which is, um, you know, the, the direct raw ingredient, um, to your facility, because that, that is going to be tough. I mean, you kind of get what you get and when, so it might not necessarily be, um, as smooth as you know, going through a distributor and ordering, what you need for a menu and when. So, you know, again, for pizza, um, you know, your bank is already loaded. Your commodities are there. Really all you have to do is um, place that order according to what you want for your menu and um, for that delivery date. And you really should be getting that. Um, but the kind of other um, side of it is the, the brown box is it's not necessarily always going to be um, the exact amount that you want. So you might have a little bit of, overage or if you don't end up using it all um, that's where the waste comes in um, like you kind of said so um, there's there's definitely a little bit more um, complexities um, I would say as it comes to um, brown box versus processing right now are there some best practices that you can share that you know aside from absolutely you have to plan don't just guess based on or don't just place the same order you placed last year especially yep. if your menu has changed and definitely look at your usage um if people don't have a system that tracks their inventory how do you recommend they get their usage information yeah so um th yeah that's where i would recommend um being able to go out into those two systems, process their link and K-12. And you know, even if it's just once a month, just kind of take a look to, you know, how are you tracking? Um, I know we as manufacturers will send you um, monthly statements as well um, so that it'll kind of show you this is what you've used for the month and um, this is where your balance is. But the best practice I would really say is, um, take a look, make sure that what it shows for your usage is accurate. 
um, because uh, back, back to the point, um, you don't want to be buying something and not getting your commodity discount on it. That's um, that's definitely something that you want to make sure um, that you're receiving. Um, the other best practice is uh, there's various ways of receiving your commodity discount. Um, I would say a majority of schools have moved to what's called NOI, so it's net off invoice. Making sure that you have um, the correct or the distributors giving you that discount off your invoice because that's really what NOI is, is you're getting that direct um, food discount off your invoice from your distributor. Um, and if you're not, it's possible that that distributor isn't tied correctly out in processor link or K-12. And so it's a good idea to go out there and look to make sure that if this is the distributor that I have this year, do I have them tied correctly? Or if I've changed from maybe the prior year, I want to make sure that that's been communicated or changed out there so that I am getting the correct discount that distributors able to see your commodity bank and be providing that to you. Um, Who's so, the best person to contact? Should you be reaching out to your distributor or the yeah your distributor? Yep. Okay. Um, distributor or your um, sales broker. Okay. Um, either one of those will go out there and make sure that they're they're making that request for you. Okay, that makes sense. Now, when I was talking about usage, I was also thinking about when people are trying to project what they will actually use in a year, they may be tempted to place their order based on the previous order, not looking at what their kids actually got off the line. Sure. So would you say there could be a pretty big difference between what was selling and what was desirable and what your order should be this year. Like maybe you want to diversify. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And that's the other thing. It it seems like, um, you know, once you have a, because like we're talking about, I mean, we're, we're making these plans plenty early um, versus when the actual school year is in session. So things change. Like you said, Um, something might not be going as well on the menu and, um, you need to change something up, but that's where I would say, um, just make sure that you're, you're, you're talking with your, um, sales rep and you know, come up, they'll definitely be able to come up with solutions, um, sit down with you and say, okay, um, how about we, since this was on your original plan, we'll, we'll change it up, go to this product, or here's another solution that we could try. And then it'll kind of show you how many commodity pounds that I would use. So, um, you're able to make those menu changes. Um, as you go along with the school year. So I'd say that's that's something is, is common, I'd say, for every single person. Is, as soon as you got that plan, it's going to change eventually. Right, right. Now, when it comes to the products, like us trying to guess what our kids might like, if it's something we haven't ordered before or haven't seen before, is the product that we're going to get the same as something that we may have already seen at the store? Or are these totally different items made just for K-12? Um, I would say in a lot of cases, they're going to be different than um, what's going to be in the store. Um, just from a, a nutritional uh, requirement perspective that um, you know, we definitely want to make sure, and and you'll see that, is the manufacturers are are making some really good products to, to meet the nutritional requirements um, that uh, that are out there. And so, yeah, it, it, they're going to be slightly different. 
Um, but I would still say that um, they're very good and good quality, good tasting products um, that are out there. So um, there, there's a difference, but not necessarily something that um, is noticeable. Right. Is that usually something that the salesperson would have access to in advance? Like, do the manufacturers have this plan with the USDA like a year or so in advance? Or what is the process like in the manufacturer's end? Um, yeah, I was just curious about that. How long it takes to establish that you'll be working with the USDA in schools and how that information is communicated to the salespeople who in turn bring it to us. Sure. Um, Yeah, that's something that we have to do on an annual basis. So we have to um, go out and get an agreement with every state that we're going to do commodities with. And so uh, without that uh, state agreement each year, um, that's where we wouldn't be doing commodities within that state. So yeah, that's a, it's definitely something that um, as manufacturers, we want to make sure that we're communicating to our sales team or, um, you know, if for some reason that we're not doing a specific commodity. Because um, like I said, there's, um, it, it changes. When we, when we're, when I'm just looking at pizza, for example, we do cheese, flour, and tomato. Well, from one year, a state might say, I'm only adding cheese to my survey, but the next year, um, based on interest, um, they might be adding flour and tomato. And that's where we're communicating to our sales team um, to be talking with schools because if they're going to be buying one case of pizza, you might as well have three discounts on it for commodities versus the one because you're already buying it and you want to make sure that you're getting those dollar discounts. Right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So let's say you place pretty hefty orders, but they're selling like gangbusters on the uh, in the cafeteria and you run out of your discount. What do you do then if you would like to continue with that same item? That's where, that's where I would be making sure that you're having the conversation um, with your uh, manufacturer. Um, and to say, you know, this is what I still plan on um, using for the year. And that's where we could kind of calculate out, okay, you'll need another 10,000 pounds of cheese or whatever it is. And that's where we'll, um, it, along with the, the school is go to the state and those, those pounds that were swept early, early at the beginning of the year and get put into this excess account. Um, it's on a first come first basis. So um, you, you'd be able to go there and we could look to see, can I get you those 10,000 pounds for free? I mean, it's not entitlement. And um, so that you can continue to be able to get that commodity discount throughout the, the remainder of the year. Oh, yeah. That's definitely the ideal. If, uh, let's say, all of that's gone, can you typically still purchase that same item? It's just at a higher price for the sake of continuity with your menu? Yes. Yep. That's exactly it. Okay. Excellent. Now it's, I'm trying to make sure I think of all the questions. I'm sure even after this, it it may still be a little tricky for some of us who are totally new. Now, what are some good resources that explain the steps of the process? You mentioned that there are different ways to use your entitlement discount. You mentioned net off invoice, NOI. Mm -hmm. What are the other ways? Um, yeah, so the other ways there are 
rebates that um, you're able to do. Um, I, I would say the difference there, though, and versus the NOI is it's up to then the school to submit a rebate request um, for those. And so some of the downfalls I would say on that one is, okay, so it's delayed as far as when you're going to get that commodity discount, right? So you might be submitting that rebate request once a month or once a quarter or whatever it is. Um, so your food costs are higher at that point. And a lot of things that I've, I've seen is that could really um, hurt your food program is sometimes when those checks get back, um, it doesn't necessarily always go back into the um, food account. I mean, it, it's possible that they could get placed into a, a general fund account. So if you're wanting to make sure that you're seeing those food um, cost reductions, that's where I would go NOI as, as an option because um, just one from like a timing perspective and, and to make sure that, hey, I'm getting it right off my invoice. There's no doubt that I am getting that food cost reduction. Um, and it, it's just an easier process, I would say. Right. Okay. That's a good tip. So where should we go to learn more or look at more tutorials? What do you recommend? Um, certainly the, the USDA has quite a few that um, are out. They've got a lot of U, uh, YouTube videos out there um, for training. Um, definitely check those out. Uh, the other would be uh, kind of, as I mentioned, uh, ACTA. Uh, they have a lot of good education, um, uh, PowerPoints and such things um, like that. USDA it does as well. Um, but yeah, definitely ACTA does um, as far as, you know, every conference they have, they have their PowerPoints that are out there for the different training. Um, uh, as, as far as if you're a member and you're able to go out to their website. Um, but not having to be a member, that's where I would go is uh, the USDA website and on YouTube for um, videos. And, they'll, and those videos, they take you through different presentations as well. Okay, excellent. That really helps. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Um, something about your relationship with the school nutrition program or what type of company Schwann's is and how manufacturers are looking to collaborate with us? Anything really? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say definitely Schwann's is, is a, uh, we look to how can we bring benefit to the school program as much as we can? So we're always looking for ways to you know, improve on our nutrition or um, you know, different trends, uh, what schools are looking for uh, as far as uh, providing marketing materials to help um, schools be able to uh, promote their products. And so, yeah, I would say definitely you want to be able to, to look at um, – you know, a manufacturer that you want to partner with and, and really look to see is, you know, are they a partner um, for, for my food program? Because especially what I, I guess for me, I look at it as we're not just, you know, partners on, you know, what we sell and, um, and, and what you're looking to menu is we sit down and, and we, we sit with schools and say, all right, let's, let's figure this out. Because if, if you give me 20,000 pounds of cheese, and I know, you know, based on what we've decided on a, a menu plan for the year, 
you're only going to use 10,000. That's where I'm going to make the recommendation to you to say, hey, how about we um, change this? Let's go to 10,000. That way you can put this money back into your account and you can spend it on fruits and vegetables or, or whatever it is to kind of make sure that you're getting the, the most bang for your buck and be able to effectively use your commodity dollars. And that's really what one of the things that um, we're out there trying to do is we want to be um, your food service uh, program partner. It's not just necessarily about um, the products that we offer. Um, we want to be able to help you out any way that we can and just kind of be that consultative partner for you. Awesome. Yes. And we really, I know our team, we really appreciate all the help we get from people who deal with this side of the program every day. And we really rely on people being collaborative and everybody is when it comes to supporting us to use our money in the way that's going to best serve our kids. So we appreciate all of you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been really helpful. I think this is really going to help clarify some things. Absolutely. It definitely is my pleasure. Like I said, this is one of the things that I'm passionate about and and I I love having that conversation with anybody. So um, I absolutely appreciate it. Okay, I know that was a lot of information. I tried to think through all of the questions I first had when I came into the program and it was time to start planning for the following year. But I'm sure we still have a lot of things we didn't cover and that there's still a lot of questions. So I would love to hear from you. What other questions do you have about commodity processing or diverting that you did not hear covered in this episode? I love getting feedback from listeners so that I know what type of content would serve you the most. And it gives me an idea of who to reach out to to get that content to you. That said, you can always reach out directly to me if you have questions. You can reach out to Jesse as well. LinkedIn is really a great place to be when you want to connect to other professionals and you have work-related questions. That's where a lot of us are spending a lot of time on social media these days. I personally love LinkedIn. So, So don't be shy about adding me there and reaching out to me or anyone else that I have on the show there. Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others anytime you hear something useful. Hopefully that will be every episode. Next week will be more of an inspiration-focused episode. We'll have a guest on who has been doing amazing things in school nutrition. It's just exciting to hear from someone who is well along in their career path to hear about the steps in their journey. So it will be that type of episode. I really want to balance the tips with the inspo and the other topics that we cover here since we're in our first season and feel out what the audience would like more of. So I'm really looking forward to that. All right, everybody. See you next week.